Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. Welcome back to Hope Through Hard Stuff. I'm honored to have as our guest today, Vonnie Woodrick. She is an author of the book, I Understand, Pain, Love, and Healing After Suicide. She's a life coach. She's an advocate. She's a podcast host. Vonnie, thanks so much for your time and your willingness to join us today. Uh, I'm so excited to be here and to chat and to learn more about hope through the hard stuff. Thank you so much. Vani, being somebody who is well-versed in the topic of mental health and somebody who's an advocate for suicide type issues is not a, is not a club that anybody ever asks to be in. Would you mind telling our listeners about your story and how, how you came to be passionate about this particular issue? Yeah, you know, my nonprofit organization, I understand Love Heals, started from my lived experience, living through the death of my husband. He suffered from anxiety and depression, and he was fourth generation suicide. So when he died, I, I had three, I have three kids, but at the time they were five, 12, and 15. How do you talk to a five-year-old about suicide? So Going through the grief, the pain, the comments, the guilt, everything that comes with a suicide loss, it wasn't making sense to me. I felt so much judgment. I felt so much stigma. I'm like, how do I change this? So I changed it simply by, in my way, celebrating by making t-shirts that said, I understand love heals, simply to evoke conversation. What does that mean? And to show others that we're judgment and stigma free. To date, we have given over 15,000 shirts throughout the country away. We have a Wear Care Share campaign. So anybody that's listening right now that would like one, we have donors that donate so we can provide to anyone. So that's how we got started, by my lived experience and simply by giving away t-shirts. That's amazing. Vani, you talk about stigma. What shape did that stigma take 20, 20 years ago? What what was what was different about kind of that cultural moment now than maybe what we're experiencing today? The stigma is the number one reason why people don't reach out for help. Mm. 20 years ago, it was swept under the rug more so than it even is today. And sometimes I wonder, you know, you know, people say that the crisis is getting bigger and we're losing more and more people, which we are, but I have to question if we were talking about suicide more openly at the time, would we have known that that accidental injury or the undisclosed, you know, I don't think we have accurate numbers in the past, but today the way that our community is opening up and talking about it is what we need. But mm-hmm. I experience every single day, the stigma, the denial, the guilt that tells me that we still have a long ways to go. How do you think your children's experiences would have been different if they had gone through what they went through then, if they'd gone through that now? You know, I think about my kids all the time in terms of, you know, being five, 12 and 15, where would they be? How different would they be? And what influence would their dad have had them today Hmm. living without them now? more than they lived with him. So I do wonder, and I question that. I think that it may have been easier to understand, easier to swallow, but through my work and my passion, I'm changing that 
And I don't want anybody to feel the guilt. I don't want anybody to feel the stigma. And simply by talking about it, updating and changing the narratives and their views surrounding suicide, we can do that. And in turn, because that stigma is the number one reason people don't reach out, reduce it so people will reach out. Vani, you talked on your website about how some of your advocacy includes even wanting to change the, the actual words that we use when we talk about suicide. Explain that to us a little bit more. Yeah. One of the most difficult things for me, helping my children, you know, being a widowed parent was how do we talk about it? You know, I mean, I would be at an event with my daughter who was just five or six at the time. And the people that would come up and say, why would your husband do that to you and your family? Mm-hmm. And the number one question asked after a suicide loss is how did he do it? Now that brings me back to my own PTSD that I struggled with. Um, How do you take that darkness out? You know, how did he kill himself or your husband killed himself? You know, that's dark and that's scary. The word commit up until 1964, suicide was considered a crime. That is where the word commit comes in. So I have this passion to change the narratives and the definition of suicide from one who intentionally kills themselves to an effect of a mental brain, brain health illness, or pain. Pain is the common denominator of all suicides. I add brain into that because brain is the organ that is not functioning properly. So then I ask that question, I asked three questions. Why is the brain the only organ in our body that is judged and stigmatized when it fails? Why do we talk more about the illness than we do the act? And if my husband didn't choose his illness, because it clearly is an illness, how could he choose his death? So all of that leads to the answer to that question of let's update the narratives and the definition to the effect of a mental brain health illness or pain. And the reason I add pain in there is because over 54% of those that die by suicide do not have a diagnosed mental health brain health illness. So then where's that pain coming from that's causing suicidal thoughts and suicidal actions? So the pain is from bullying, isolation, financial devastation, guilt, so many other things that aren't necessarily classified as a mental health illness. Sounds like you're just have have made some really fascinating discoveries and and that nuance is really helpful. How how are you finding that that narrative or those nuances simply in language and verbiage helping families who have been affected by suicide and mental illness? How is this new conversation helping them heal? I feel in, you know, I lead support groups for teenagers and for adults for after loss. And I think that the biggest thing, and I have witnessed the change in their body because it removes guilt. It removes the guilt of what didn't I see? What didn't I do? How could I have prevented this? I don't look at this as my husband chose to end his life. I look at it as the illness is an effect of an illness and the illness won, the illness took over. And we can accept that with all other illnesses. We can accept it with heart disease, with cancer. You know, the interesting thing to me is, is that 
somebody going through cancer can choose not to go through any treatment, can choose that they don't want to go through that. They just want to die peacefully. But that's not considered a suicide, even though they're choosing to not get help and get support and get medication. Same with heart disease. I mean, we can eat many, many things that clog our arteries, but that's a contribution to our health. So it's the same thing with a mental health. We need to talk about it and we need to get help and support for whatever it is that we're dealing with, especially that pain, because the common denominator of all suicides is pain of some sort. Talk to me a little bit about the support groups. How many do you do? Who is in them? How often do they run? What shape do those take? Yeah, so our support group is the third Wednesday of every month in Grand Rapids, Michigan at Celebration Cinema North. And um, we have a big group every week. I mean, every month. So we meet the third Wednesday of every month. Sometimes it's really hard to go because you think about the heaviness that can be in that room. But I promise you, when you walk out, you will be lifted, you'll be supported, you will no longer feel alone. Many, many other people will feel the same way that you did, but they don't know how to articulate it. Um, There's so many dynamics involved, although each one of our stories is so different, we all feel the same way after a suicide loss. So being able to help them simply through understanding where their loved one was at, what they were dealing with. I think a lot of times, you know, I always say, let's let's talk about how they lived rather than instead of how they died. Mm-hmm. And yes, we want to remember the good times and the fun times we had, but also how did they live? Did they have an addiction? Did they have pain that was not being dealt with? Did they have bipolar? Did they have, because if we talk honestly and openly, about the illnesses or pain that they're living with, we can see that their struggle, they didn't really want to die. They wanted their pain to end. Yeah. Yeah. And who is that group for? Is it for people who have lost family members to suicide or is it for, or just other people in the community? Yeah. So the support group is basically for those that have lost a loved one to suicide, but it's interesting because We also have people join us that have attempted suicide. And the reason that they do that is because they wanna hear about the other family members and how they feel after, and that gives them hope not to, you know, have try to get rid of those thoughts, but it also allows the family members and the people that are at the support group an opportunity to hear where that mind goes and where that person goes prior to an attempt. Okay. Okay. And what do your kids who are older now, like, what do, what do they think about your work? Are they actively involved or is it just kind of part of their story that they can tap if they need to encourage somebody else? You know, I have in my book, I understand pain, love and healing after suicide. They each wrote something in the book. And if anybody, any parent that has lost a spouse that needs to hear the words of a children after this was written 18 years after the loss. I highly recommend reading it because, you know, my youngest daughter, she, she's very, very articulate in the sense of, I don't know. And she was the five-year-old. I don't know my life any different. I'm grateful that I have a strong mom and all three of them 
are grateful for this platform because they now can easily talk openly about their dad, about their loss in a comfortable way because they can say, well, my mom started, I understand. And we, you know, so then they can say my dad died of depression and it really clicks with other people. What would you say is the most energizing part of the work that you're doing these days, Bonnie? You know, I am so grateful every single day. I feel like it's a very, very bittersweet place to be because I had to lose my husband to get to where I'm at today. And that's where I say, I didn't know that I could write a book. I didn't know that myself could become a podcast host, that I would actually have a publisher that's interested in my book. And I have three other books coming out. That is what is the most amazing thing to me is that, wow, when we, people will say everything happens for a reason, right? And I would hate that everything happens for a reason. Why? What is the reason that my kids have to grow up without their dad? What are the reasons of the pain and the grief? But now 20 years later, I see the reason. It took us a while to get there, but it also allowed me to feel my husband with me every day. And I know that there's divine intervention. I know that everything happens for a reason. Sometimes it just takes us a while to get there. Yeah. Talk, talk about how did your spiritual journey or how did your understanding of, of who God is and how God operates, how did that evolve over the course of your journey, Bonnie? Well, it definitely has changed. It changed to a place where I am much more spiritual than I am religious um, because I definitely experience um, the more to what we see. I know that I am surrounded by a God and I feel like I have to be very religious, spiritual, neutral because so many people come to us that aren't Christians. They may be Buddhist. They may be atheists. They may be, and I don't want to ever, ever turn anyone away. And to me, it's all about who's your higher power. Who are you giving gratitude to? Who are you thanking? Who are you recognizing? Um, Because without that, I don't think I would have had the belief to get where I am to my greatest passion of bringing this conversation to everyday places to simply help and support those that have been through a similar journey so they don't have to go through what I went through. Yeah, that's so good. Thank you, Vani. What have been some of the challenges of the work as it has continued to advance and evolve? Yeah, you know, the challenges have been um, definitely talking about it. It can become very emotional. I have been on podcasts, I've been on TV where I like cry, I get emotional because it's such an emotional, emotional topic. And it's such a misunderstood topic. But what I found for me is if somebody doesn't agree with me, if somebody doesn't challenge me, it drives me more. It drives me more to get to a better way of explaining my beliefs, explaining why and the, and the importance of the change needed to reduce that stigma and judgment to save lives. That's good. So where have been, where has been the resistance? Like when, when you say people don't agree with you, I can't, I can't imagine anybody pushing back because it seems like what you're doing is good and it's pretty straightforward. 
Yeah, you know, unfortunately, I think that sometimes religion can actually add to the stigma because one of the most most commonly statements made to me after my husband's loss was, you know, your husband went to hell for killing himself. And that comes from the church. That's coming from a place of, of trust. And there have been ministers and preachers that have actually said in a memorial service that your child went to hell for killing himself. And that was as soon as early as three years ago. So there is, that is one of the most difficult things for me. And so we did a, um, and I had questions about it. And I asked, I have actually my um, acquisition editor for my book is a religion, religious expert and he teaches religion. And I, I went to him and I said, what do I do with this? And he said, you know, Vani, people can take a thread out of the Bible and make it a blanket. Mm. And so you're, they're taking, and, and he said, anybody who makes those comments to you, you run, you run away from them because they're not true. But we have a really great, on our YouTube channel, we do have a video that was our religion and mental health discussion. And it, it was an excellent panel and discussion that I would highly recommend anybody that is questioning that about their loved one, that they went to hell for killing themselves. Um, even the way that it sounds when you say it is just so outdated. But I would highly recommend um, watching that and listening to that. Okay. Who were some of the people that you had as be a part of that conversation? Okay. So my acquisition editor is Trevor Thompson. And okay. you can read all of the bios on there. Um, again, he works for Erdman Publishing, which is a Christian-based publishing agency. Um, I was, I'm so honored to have Dr. Eric Atches, psychiatrist at, um, he was with Helena Voss Children's Hospital, or I'm sorry, Pine Rest, Michigan State University College of Human Medicine. He is on our board and he is now a psychiatrist at Western Michigan University leading a whole bunch of things. So look that up. Not a very articulate way to describe this, these, these three and very, very intelligent men that I have. And then I also had a minister who was also on our board, um, Martin. They're all truly Christian based. Yeah. And they all, they agree with where I'm at and what I'm saying. And I had nothing but gratitude for that panel. And like I said, in the, just a few minutes ago, of three of the most intelligent men that I've ever met. That's great. Well, thank you so much for creating a forum for people to be able to talk about mental health and faith in the same space, because I don't, I don't think that often that ha I don't think it happens nearly often enough. So I appreciate you doing that. Yeah. It was definitely um, something that I was like, this is going to be out so out of my league, um, bridging the gap between mental health and religion, but we did it and it, it really is a great listen. That's great. Well, we'll have to, and that's, uh, what's the name of your website? If people want to go and go and check that out. Yep. It's on our YouTube channel. Okay. So I understand love heals. Perfect. Great. Bonnie, tell us a little bit more about it. So um, the book is already out, but you have more books that are coming out. How can people read more of your materials and find out more about what you're doing? Yeah, well, YouTube channel is always good. We have a lot of videos on YouTube. Our website is IUnderstandLoveHeals.org. We also have um, 
Twitter, Instagram, um, I understand underscore love heals, but also more to come. Um, LinkedIn is also a great one. Don't hesitate to request resources if needed. Bonnie at IUnderstandLoveHeals.org. We have many, many different resources. We have a grief guide. We have an info guide. Um, we have, I also have two other books, Change Can Be Beautiful. It's all about change and how suicide changed my life. But when you look at how beautiful life can still be after such a devastating loss, especially when it comes to the understanding. So just check out, especially Facebook is always is our biggest reach. So check Facebook out. Great. Vani, just, and again, thank you so much for your time. And, but in closing, if you had one piece of, of encouragement or advice for a family that you have, uh, a family that you know where somebody's experiencing mental illness, what what would you say to people who are feeling overwhelmed? To people who are just yeah, you know, honestly and justifiably terrified for the well-being of somebody that they care about and and want them to hang on, but isn't isn't sure how to how to help help them do that. You know, it's a scary place to be. And the best advice that I can give you is be the one. Be the one for someone. And I'll use the acronym of one offer support and narrate what you words are you using e encouragement encourage people to seek professional help we are not counselors we are not therapists we we need to reach out but it's also about finding your tribe hmm. who can you connect with because while you're worrying about your loved one it's taking a toll on your own mental health so take care of you because stress can damage both your mental and your physical health. Allow yourself to feel those emotions that you may be feeling and know you're not alone, that there are support groups, there are therapists. If you don't know where to go, the um, helpline simply by calling 988 and hear these words from me and trust me when I say that the world is a much better place with you in it than without you. Vani, thank you so much uh, for your for sharing your story, for sharing your expertise, uh, for the great work that you're doing, and want to encourage those of us who have been listening today uh, to seek out Vani and her organization. They're doing great work, and we're uh, just honored that they're a resource that Winning at Home can lean on and draw from as we seek to help people take the next step towards uh, health and healing mentally, spiritually, and emotionally. Vani, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it, rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.